you talking to me again from the front row? My goodness, man. Uh, so if you hear the, the nasal and stuff like that, I too have seasonal allergies. Anybody else? Yeah. Woo. Weak immune systems, you know. And uh, my mother-in-law decided to leave her dog at our house for a week, and I'm also apparently allergic to that. So if you hear that, just know that. And also, for those of you that are watching me over there snorting nasal spray, that's what it was. Uh, that's how I get ready for a message. Um, anyway, I'm Pastor Howell. I'm from the Temple Terrace campus. I, um, I, what I'm going to be talking about uh, tonight is probably one of the more awkward things to talk about in church. It's actually kind of a really sad thing that it's awkward to talk about in church because it was something that was talked about in church on a regular basis, especially in the early church. But since we stopped talking about it, it becomes incredibly awkward, and that's sex. And uh, I was like, oh. Uh, it's always interesting to hear the responses because, like, anybody that's not in a relationship right now is like, yeah, you tell those sinners. And uh, everybody that's in, like, a relationship like, hey, don't listen to them. Um, I did one time, I, I literally was teaching at the exchange in the very early days, and I said, all right, we're going to talk about sex, and literally a girl in the front row got up and walked out. I was like, usually they wait till I say a little bit more offensive things, but um, so it, it, here's the deal, and when we're talking about this, here's, here's what I know, here's, here, here's what I know what's going to happen, is there's, there's a lot of emotion that goes along with this, there's a lot of emotion that's tied up in this topic. Um, many times uh, you have heard things um, from people uh, who have been on uh, a similar stage and they have said things that uh, have hurt you or have said things that have stuck with you. And so I know there's a lot of uh, shame and guilt that comes along with it many times when we talk about sex. And I just want to tell you this. If you feel shame, if you feel guilt, that's not from God. Um, that's from the enemy. He wants you to feel that. But if you feel convicted, which is, here's what conviction is. Conviction is understanding that I need to change something and also understanding that God wants to help me. It, it's not this idea that I'm, I'm in a ditch and I can't get out of it. Because that's what shame and guilt is. That's what the enemy wants to tell you. He wants to say, hey, you've already messed up. You've already done so much. You've already done these things. You might as well continue doing it. Because that's what shame and guilt does. It makes us continue to do the thing that got us into the ditch in the first place. And so here, here's my hope. My hope is that there's some conviction that goes along with it as we kind of really talk about kind of an awkward topic. And I'll just start off with... Um, my first conversation, really, it wasn't, I guess, my first conversation, the first conversation I remember about sex with my parents. And they, they actually started off the conversation very early, which when you get older and you have kids, please do that also, because the average age that a kid sees porn for the first time is eight. And so if you don't have the conversation before that, then they're going to be trying to figure that on their own. Um, and so my parents had that conversation very early with me, but like a six, seven-year-old, I forgot uh, about the conversation. And I remember parts of it. I remember some kids saying something about sex in class. And so I came home and I went up to my mom and I was like, hey, mom, um, what's sex? And she goes, well, your dad's going to be home in a little bit. You should talk to him. And so my dad came home and he goes, okay, we'll talk about this again. Like we even had like a little book for kids that just kind of walks through it and all that kind of stuff. Like just the very basics of these things. Guys have this, girls have this, all that kind of fun stuff. And I get to the end of it, and I'm like, the entire time I'm going, this is disgusting. Like, this is awful. Remember when you were a kid, you're like, this is the worst thing in the world. There's no way anyone likes this. Uh, and, and I remember walking through it, and then and we get to the end of it, and my dad's like, do you have any questions? I'm like, well, um, I think you need to tell mom about this. And he goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, when I came home and I said, hey, can you tell me about sex? She said, I need to go talk to you. He said, son, your mom knows about this. I was like, what? He goes, how do you think you got here? <laughs> like, remember that first moment where it clicked in your head? My parents have sex. <laughs> like, it's disgusting time. It's like all of a sudden, like, you're not my dad. You're not my hero. You're this pervert that lusts after my mother. Like, it's just 
this gross, gross thing. And I remember just sitting there going, oh, that's what's going on. And, and I've had a lot of other friends that have very different experiences. My, my friend Ryan, one of my best friends growing up, his mother was Jehovah Witness. And so she bought him a book about um, Jesus in your body, which is a weird title. And the, the third chapter in, literally, I'm not kidding, was every time you touch yourself, Jesus cries. And so... Did we break the ice enough? All right. So here's the deal. It's a, <laughs> this is not an easy thing to talk about. It's really not an easy thing to talk about because there's so much emotion. There's so much tied into this. And on top of the fact, uh, the way culture is going and the way that we date and the way that we've extended adolescence and the fact that we don't get married until later makes this conversation way tougher than it was before. It makes it way harder than it was before, but it's something that needs to happen. And what I see happening right now, especially in culture right now, and some of you may see this and some of you may not, depending on, you know, who you follow, is there's a lot of deconstruction going on uh, of the Christian faith. And I just like to say this right off the bat, deconstruction is not a bad thing. In fact, deconstruction has been happening ever since the church started. And here's what deconstruction is. It's looking at your church experience that you grew up in and going, this doesn't line up with the Bible. We should remove that. And actually, when deconstruction happens in the right way, the church becomes healthier and revival tends to happen. And so deconstruction is not a bad thing. But what you see happening right now is you see how people having a deconstruction of purity culture. And what they're doing is they're not doing it in the way that we should, which is take away the things that don't matter and go straight to Jesus. What they're doing is they're saying the church hurt me, so I'm leaving the church. I'm just deciding to do things on my own. And so look, what we can always do is we can always look at our experiences. We can always look at what pastors have said and people in the church have said to us and say, that doesn't line up with the Bible. This is what Jesus says, so this is what I'm going to do. So I'm going to take that away so I don't say it to somebody else and cause the same pain to them again. And so I've seen this, so I, and like, I grew up in this, and many of you maybe have seen this. The youth pastors for the longest period of time, and even pastors for the longest period of time, have had the hard time, uh, the hard subject of trying to teach to middle schoolers and high schoolers about sex, which is an awkward, hard thing to do, because on top of that, the, the parents don't want you to talk about it, um, especially homeschool parents. If you had those, they were awful humans. And so they would always be incredibly mad at me. I, I, I used to get in trouble. I told middle schoolers there was no Santa. And they're like, how dare you? I'm like, I saved your kid from being beat up. Shut your mouth. Like, but they would, they would say, and so I would have to talk to them about it. What, the hard thing about talking to middle schoolers and high schoolers and what you want to do is you want to help them understand how powerful sex is, why God did what he did. But at the same time, you, you, you want them not to have sex, but at the same time, you have that, that weird side thing of, okay, there's some in this room that have, so how do I bring them along? But many times what happens is we've kind of pushed them to the side. Let's not talk to them. Let's talk to all the people that are still virgins, and let's make sure that we scare them enough that they stay that way. And there's been a lot of pain that goes along with it. And a lot of youth pastors have said a lot of crazy things. I still, like, to this day, I can't stand it when youth pastors, like, they'll say, like, man, I, I waited until we got married, and God blessed me with my smoking hot wife. And I'm like, shut up. Like, and then the, literally one time, the guy's like, wife, stand up. And I remember looking, I was like, what do I get if I sleep with one person? Like, and so, so what I want to show you is I want to show you one of the illustrations that I saw multiple times, 
Maybe some of you saw this, and this is what I'm talking about. So we can all kind of start off on the same place. This illustration is wrong. I just want us to all start off on the same place. And so what people would happen, what would go on is they talk about sex, and they talk about the fact that sex bonds you to somebody, which it absolutely does. And they put a piece of tape on a piece of paper, and they say, when you're, when you're having sex, it bonds you to that person. It bonds you to that person, then one day you break up, and when you break up, what you are, you're torn away from that person. They would tear the tape away from it. Dang, it worked the first time. I literally tried this. There we go. All right. And they would tear it across, and here's what would happen. They say, this is what happens when you break up with that person. And so they take a part away from you that you will never give back. And then some youth pastors and some pastors will even go even further and, and add to the pain and say, and who wants this when there's something whole out there? And... Many of you, whether or not that's the illustration that's been used, whether or not it's what your parents said, that's the way that you felt, is I'm already damaged, so what's the point? And and there's so many problems with that idea. Yes, sex bonds you to a person, absolutely does. But why would we assume that there is a sin that God can't heal? Now, hear me on this, and, and really, really, I want you to get this. I don't believe this. I don't think sex takes away from you. I think what it does is it hands you a piece of baggage. And here's what I mean by that. It hands you a piece of baggage. What happens is this, is you end up emotionally connecting with somebody beyond what you're actually connecting them with. You're holding on to that. And many times what we tend to do is if we end up, get out of a bad situation, what do we do? We go to another situation very quickly. And so we hold on to that baggage. We go into another dating relationship right away. We do the same exact thing. In fact, we actually go faster because that's what we just came out of. And we do it again and we do it again. And where we, whether we realize it or not, over time we have this baggage. We have this, this baggage that is on top of us that we need to work through, that we need to get rid of, that we need to heal from. And we take it into marriage. And what happens is it shows up in the bedroom in many different ways. It shows up in our relationships. It shows up in our insecurities. I mean, what's, what's interesting to me right now is both my wife and I, we've had a lot of conversations with 30-somethings right now who are married, and their biggest problem right now in marriage, they've been married for 10 years. Their biggest problem is the fact that they can't stop the highlight reels of their previous sexual encounters for coming in their head while they're having sex. Can God heal all of that? Yes. Yes. Absolutely, but it takes time and it takes purposeful relationship with him. Look, here's the deal. Is sex going to cause some problems in your, sex outside of marriage going to cause some problems in your marriage? Absolutely, it is, but we can all work through it. We can all work through it. We can all go to that next level. And what I want you to get right now for all of you in this room, which I'm guessing is a large portion of you that have already had sex, the idea is not, well, I've already had sex. I'm going to keep going. The idea is, all right, I'm going to stop right now. I'm going to heal from this, and my next relationship is going to be a healthy one that can lead to the right type of marriage. Because one of the biggest problems... Because one of the biggest problems that happened is when you go through that, re- that, that illustration is sex became the line. Like it became the just don't have sex. Like it was the ultimate thing. You'll have a great relationship if you just don't have sex before marriage. That's not true. Like you'll have the best sex of your life the moment you get married if you just wait till marriage. No, it's probably going to be a little bit awkward. It'll be great for him.
And, and we had these ideas. And I've had people literally get so focused on that that they've looked past all the red flags because they have the ability to abstain before marriage. I had a girl, and you guys have maybe heard me tell this story before. I had a girl who was dating a guy, and she was so incredibly excited that she found somebody who was a virgin. She found somebody that abstained. They abstained from sex. She did not bring him around any of us. She just dated, and they waited till marriage to have sex, and then they got married, and she found out he had a massive porn addiction. He literally did not have the ability to finish with her. And she goes, she came, I remember she came over our house. She goes, how? I, I did everything right. I said, no. No, 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 look, that's part of it. But the reason, the reason we don't have sex before marriage is so we can see all of the other things. So you don't feel bad bringing him around everybody else, afraid that everybody's going to find out about what's going on. Like, these, these things were, were, could have been seen by so many people. And, and I've seen this happen. I've seen Christians do that. They draw the line. They're like, okay, so everything but. Right? And so everything but sex is okay. Everything, you know, everything all the way up to oral sex. Oral sex is perfectly fine. And I've heard people say, well, I just do oral, and then that's perfectly fine. Because in, for some reason, oral sex is, is less... Can we just be honest? Like, face to crotch is pretty intimate. <laughs> oh, it's not sex. Yeah, it's, it's, in, it's intimate. <laughs> and I've had it go, guys, I, I have seen this go so many ways Sideways. I, I, I've seen, I, I was, did some marital counseling for a, a couple where they just said, and look, I know this is about to, I know I'm saying this in, in church, but they, all, they would do anal basically through the entire time. They're like, well, it's not sex, it's not sex. And guess what? Her intimacy is way off. That's not a surprise. Like, and I had friends, two friends in college, I didn't realize this was going on. They're like, we're going to wait till we get married to even kiss. And I'm like, that's great. That's awesome. And it's so funny. We watch the YouTube videos of the first kiss and like, that's so awkward. But they don't know. Like, that's the best kiss they've ever had. That's great. But they're like, we're, we're going to wait. But they started fooling around without kissing. And they got to the point where they were having sex without kissing. And then he broke up with her and she was Baker acted. You can imagine because you did the most intimate thing you can do with a person without kissing them. And so what, what I'm saying right now is what, what's happened so many times is we focused so much on the wrong thing. We've just been like, all right, God doesn't want me to have sex, so let me just figure out all the ways that I can do all the things I want outside of that without understanding the reason why God said to wait. The reason why God said, like, like let's take some time back. And so what we need to do is this, is what we need to do is if we're going to deconstruct the wrong version of what we understand, we got to look to what the Bible says and go, okay, is this what the Bible says? Then what does this mean, and how should I go about it? So 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5 says this. It says, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. That means all sexual sin. Um, and just so you know, like in the Bible, like there's never a point in the Bible where it's like, it's okay sometimes. Like every single time it's like, you can only have sex with your spouse. And when you're married, only your spouse. So 
says it a lot. It says, then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Ephesians 4, 18 and 9 says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so to indulge in every kind of impurity. Like, you guys got to understand, like it says over and over and over and over again that we should not have sex before marriage. And people go, well, was God surprised by sex. God was not surprised by sex. Like, it wasn't like, like Adam and Eve, like, he made them naked on purpose. Like, it wasn't like he, like, came back to the garden one day, saw Adam and Eve having sex, and he was like, oh no, and started spraying them with a water bottle. Like, <laughs> he wasn't surprised by it at all. He wasn't. In fact, what we see is this whole opposite. It's not that he was surprised by it at all. He goes, no, 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 I've created this for a purpose that has a purpose and that's incredible in marriage. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5. This is a verse I think that every like, husband learns the moment he gets married. It says, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority of her body over to her husband. The husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited amount of time so you can give yourself more completely to prayer. I don't think that's ever happened. Um, <laughs> afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of a lack of self-control. What is he saying? He goes, hey, here's the deal. Sex is in marriage. It's something that should be a part of your marriage. It's something that you regularly should do. Almost, I mean, he literally gets to the fact of like, hey, your body doesn't belong to yourself. So you should have sex in marriage. And it, what always is incredible to me is the amount of people that, like, I don't want to get married because I know the sex goes bad. No, the communication goes bad, which makes the sex go bad. Like, it, I'll just be honest with you guys. I haven't met a couple that just has a bad sex life. Like, that doesn't exist. I see a, a couple with a bad relationship that doesn't know how to communicate. But it's easier to focus on sex than it is to focus on communication. It's easier to focus on sex than it is to focus on your baggage and the things you need to unpack. So we blame it on those things. God says, no, no, no. Sex is, it's, it's a byproduct of a great relationship. It's something that I want you to have in marriage. In fact, guys, if you still don't believe me, read Song of Solomon. Like, or don't read it. It's, it's, it's got a lot in it. Like, literally, here's what's great. Here's why I say this. Like, Jewish boys were not allowed to read Song of Solomon until they were engaged. Like, and, and so, Song of Solomon 7 says, you are like a palm tree, and your breasts are like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. <laughs> People are like, this is in the Bible? <laughs> Say, may your breasts be like grape clusters and the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be exciting as the best wine. How beautiful are your sandaled feet, O queenly maiden. Your rounded thighs are like jewels. <laughs> Maybe that's a word for thick. I don't know. Um... <laughs> The work of a skilled craftsman. Your navel is perfectly formed like a goblet filled with mixed wine between your thighs. And I'll just kind of stop there. <laughs> Song of Solomon is a book that literally is letters back and forth between two people that are courting and then two people that are married. It talks about sex, talks about oral sex, talks about all those things. Like, this is, like you guys got to understand, like, God is not against sex. God is not uh, against these things. He, he actually is about it and he wants the right thing for you. But he also says, look, this is something that is incredibly powerful. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, it says this. It says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. It's the only sin in 
the Bible that it says run from. Like you guys got to realize, like, Jesus went into the desert to be tempted by Satan himself for 40 days. Like, he went through that temptation to, to make himself stronger. But when it comes to sexual sin, God says, run. Run away. Get away from it. Why? Why? Maybe. Like, let's just say that maybe God, the God that designed the world, that designed us, that designed our body, understands how we work and he understands how sex would work perfectly in our life and how it could damage us in other ways. I guess if we, if we really believe that God made everything, wouldn't he understand that from such an incredible level? And what's happened for so long is, and this was so hard teaching to youth and, and so many people was, we used to say like, oh yeah, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. Then youth would say, why? And we didn't, well, because. It's bad. I mean, we, we know you shouldn't be doing that. We know that there's some sort of attraction that stays there. We know there's some sort of uh, something that happens in your brain that makes you stay with that person. But we couldn't really explain it until now. And, and what I want to do for just a second is go into a little bit of the science of the things. Because for some of you, this is going to make everything click. For others of you, you're like, science is the worst thing in the world. I get it. I'll move past it quickly. But I just want you to, I just want you to understand this. Because I hear people say, well, it doesn't affect me. That's not true. It's not possible. This is what happens whenever you have sex with someone. All right? These, these are five of the chemicals that are dumped on your brain, and this is what they do to your brain. Here's the first one. Dopamine. Dopamine. Ele elevated levels of dopamine in the brain produce extremely focused attention. This chemical causes each spouse to focus intently on each other at the exclusion of everything else around you. Now, here's what it also does. Dopamine makes you focus so much that it makes you dumber. Because your body loves dopamine, which means this. When you do something that causes an increased level of dopamine, the next time you get close to it, even though you don't want to do it, you do it again. You're like, why did I do that? Dopamine. This is why. It says a release of dopamine associated with craving and dependency and addiction, which is why it can also produce a healthy attraction and dependency between spouses. It is also the chemical associated with mate selection. So they did this study with rats, where they, they got the female rat, and they basically were able to control the dopamine that went into her brain. Now, rats as a whole, they just pick the person that they want to marry, marry, that they want to <laughs> mate with, not based off love, but just basically genetics. What they were able to do, though, is if, if the female rat looked at the weakest man and they flooded her head with dopamine, it made her want to mate with the weakest guy the one she shouldn't be with, the one that she absolutely should not be with. Is this starting to make sense a little bit? Dopamine is the reason why your friend wants to marry somebody that you're like, why? This is the reason. This gets dumped on your brain at a large, large level. The next one is norepinephrine. This chemical generates exhilaration and increased energy by giving the body a shot of adrenaline. Norepinephrine has been leaked to raising memory capacity. Whatever stimulus is being experienced in the presence of the chemical is seared into the brain. This is why sexual experiences stay with us longer. 
It stays with us. It's the same reason why even watching porn stays with us longer, because these same things are being seared into our brain. It says, this helps explain how a couple in love can remember the smallest details of their beloved's feature. Also the reason that, that, like I said, that porn is a problem because it stays seared in your brain. The next one is testosterone. This is the hormone of sexual desire in both men and women. For men, it's the key hormone of desire, triggering feelings of positive energy, energy and well-being. This is the hormone that makes men just go, yeah, I'm the man. This is the hormone that allows men that don't look that great to look in the mirror and be like, yeah. Oxytocin. The flood of oxytocin at climax acts as a natural tranquilizer, lowering blood pressure, blunting sensitivity to pain and stress, and inducing sleep. This is known as the cuddle hormone, the relationship hormone, or the love hormone. Look, our feeling of love is oxytocin. So, whether you like it or not, when you have sex, you feel that. Whether you like it or not, that's what happens. And the last chemical there is serotonin. This natural chemical is released right after climax, bringing on a deep feeling of calmness, satisfaction released from stress. It has an antidepressant effect uh, that is directly mimicked by drugs like Prozac and designed for increased levels of serotonin. This is the reason, look, these, those last two especially, are the reason why you could be fighting with someone and you have sex and then everything feels okay. That's why people talk about makeup sex. It's not that makeup sex is any better sex. It's just at the end of it, all your problems don't feel like that big of a deal. That's how powerful sex is. This is what causes us to, to look past so many things, so many red flags. And this is what I want to get at real quick, is what sex does is it clouds our brain in a way so that we don't see the truth that's right in front of us. We don't see the person for who they truly are because our brain is saying, this is the person I want to be with. This is the person that I want to be with for life. It's kind of like this. Let's say that you had a crappy job, which I'm sure for some of you, it exists. You don't like the job. It's a toxic environment. You go in to quit, and they said, you know what? We're going to give you a 10 grand raise. I'm like, Okay. You stay for another week, but it's so awful. The people are so mean. It's a toxic environment. You feel like it's awful. You go in again. I need to quit. They give you another 10 grand raise. You stay. And you, every single time, this continues to happen. You stay, you stay, you stay. Why? Because you keep getting that 10 grand raise. Look, every time, every time you finally start to realize your eyes are open, like, hey, this may not be the person I should be with. Maybe these are some warning signs. Maybe there's some problems. And then you have sex. Guess what? You're like, they're not that bad. They're not that bad. That's why you see people staying with people. They, they, they literally, that you, you've had friends come over and literally just tear that person apart. They go home and they have sex. And they're like, yeah, we're just going to stay together. It's fine. We talked about it. The Journal of Neuroscience actually says this. It says the, the closest thing to the chemical reaction that we have in our brains during sex is heroin. So like it's, it's and, and on top of that, there's actually more receptors in our brain for sex than anything else. So it's literally the most addictive substance there is out there, outside of porn, which is basically sex in pill form, that we can take at any time. The problem is, it causes us to miss things over and over and over again. It causes us to get to the point of the end of a relationship where we finally do end it. We're like, why didn't we see all those things? And all your friends is, we all saw them. You didn't hear them. It's kind of like this. I, I worked at a church growing up, and 
one of my jobs on the, the weekend was just kind of maintenance and walking around. And I remember walking into one of the air conditioned rooms and one of the rooms had just black mold over it. And I was like, and I had spilt uh, the mop water in there. So I thought it was my fault. It's like, ah, oh, crap, I need to, you know, figure this out. And so I went and found some paint because that's what you do with black mold is you just paint over it. <laughs> I was 16. I, so I painted over it. Literally the next week I come in and there's more mold on the wall. I'm like, what the crap? So I go, I get more paint, I paint it over. Next week, same thing happens. I paint over it. The next week I come in, literally the entire thing is gutted. Like they've taken all the drywall out. I was like, what happened? <laughs> They're like, actually, there was a pipe that burst behind the wall. I said, we wish we would have found it earlier. We wouldn't have to gut everything. See, when sex starts in a relationship, especially when it starts incredibly early, what it does is we start to see things, but then we just paint over it. And what happens is it has to get to such a boiling point that it just explodes. That's why, guys, think about it. It's why relationships where you have sex end in such a freaking car crash. That's why they end so badly. That's why they, you continue, even after it ends badly, that you just have this thing. They're like, man, there's just something about them. I just want to keep going back to them. They have something special. No, you just have dopamine. They're not special. You just had sex. And so we continue to go back, and we continue to go back. And what happens is we don't see the things that are right in front of us. You know, people will ask me, like, how long does it take to actually get to know somebody? And most uh, most counselors, most psychologists will say seven to nine months, but they also will say this, like if you have sex, it actually extends it. It can almost double it. And the reason I say seven to nine months is because can we all just be honest, when we first start dating, we, we're not totally truthful about everything. Like we just, we're always happy, which is just not truthful. And, and so it takes about seven to nine months. The problem is when you have sex, you don't see it and it actually takes much longer. And I think what we've gotten to a point of in culture, and this is what's so sad for me, is when I look at culture and I look at what's going on right now in the world around us, and I think this actually absolutely was brought to a point with the, the abortion uh, conversation that happened uh, in the Supreme Court, was I, I believe this. I believe as a culture, culture believes that we have a right to have sex without consequences. I, I, like, I really think we've gotten to a point where they believe like we have a right as Americans to have sex without consequences. We do. I, I think, in, I mean, half the commercials on TV are ways that you can get rid of all the things that you have while you have sex. And then I think we really saw it, and it really, like, totally took place, I think, when I saw the, the abortion decision. Because I saw this, this big influx of people getting incredibly mad that there would be this problem if they had sex and they got pregnant. And it was really sad to me, because I, I, all of a sudden you see all this flood of all these young guys um, getting snipped, basically, and just deciding they're not going to have kids and all these things, because the entire point of sex for them was just the ability to have pleasure in the moment, not what God made it for. And that's the sad part about it. This is like you look at sex in the realm, oh, there's a lot of consequences. There's the STDs and there's the unwanted pregnancies and the fact that nowadays, like, there's more kids being born into single-family homes than two-family homes. And guys, I gotta be honest, like, that's the toughest job in the world. Like, my wife is in Orlando for four days, I'm a single dad for four days, and I'm done. <laughs> like, there are a lot. Like, God was like, I'm purposely gonna bring you together so you can tap out so you don't hurt one of them. 
Like God's like, I, I want to bring you together in order to do this. Guys, what's so sad to me is we've gotten to a point where a baby is no longer seen as this beautiful thing, but a consequence to an action. It's like, it's a consequence. And that's so incredibly sad to me. Like God purposely, purposely made sex in a way that we would incredibly love it inside of marriage so that we would have kids and reproduce because I believe that having kids is a part of what God has called us to do. He wants us to have some kids in marriage and go forward. And I know that because he made sex so much fun. Like if he didn't want us to have kids, he would have made it like do 100 burpees in five minutes and then you can have a kid. There would be no kids. Like None. But he's like, no, it's going to be through sex. And God, God's going, hey, this is something that I have put together on purpose. So people ask, like, then, then why did God make it this way? And you got to understand, like, the way God made it, it's really hard for us to achieve the healthiest form of it where we are right now. Because we can't escape it. And, and here's what I mean by I can't escape it. We can't escape uh, nudity. We can't escape porn. We can't escape all of these things. And so you get to a point where you're like, why would God even create this? And you got to almost go back to biblical times and think about what was possible. Like, this is why what God did. See, and this isn't possible for us now, but imagine this. Imagine this, that you lived in another time where people dressed modestly and the only naked person you ever saw was your spouse. The only naked person you ever saw. So that every time you lust, every time you had any, any thought that was about sex, it was always of your spouse. The hottest person in your mind was your spouse because that's all you ever saw. Every time you had that urge, you went to your spouse because that was the only person that you would have sex with. And what happens is you would get married and you would have all this sex within the first marriage and you would have all these hormones that I talked about dumped on your brain over and over again. What would happen over time, and this is the reason God created sex this way, is those hormones would be dumped on your brain so many times that you literally become, just like heroin, addicted to your partner. You become addicted to your spouse. Why would God want you to become addicted to your spouse? Maybe because he knows we're both sinful people we're going to hurt each other. So why not have something else that brings us back together? See, God's plan for sex was so much more than just something that's fun, so much more than just something that we get to do in a moment. God's like, I want to use it as, as part of this magnificent thing that I call marriage to bring two people together to have something better. And here's what's crazy, guys. Despite what the media will tell you, women, way more higher levels of satisfaction in sex in marriage way higher levels. Guys, it's just a little bit higher. Because guys just have to show up. You know, it's just what it is. And on top of that, married people will say this, their worst year of sex was their first year of marriage. You're like, well, that was, it was bad. Not like bad, not like their worst year, like, oh, we're not going to try that again. It's more like, hey, let's practice. Because, guess what? When you're married, and you have sex, and you're in a good relationship, guess what you can do? You can talk to each other. And you can be honest, not afraid the person's going to leave you or break up with you. You can say, these are the things that I like. These are the things I don't like. These are the things that makes me feel a certain way. These are the things that you can do to help me get to this place. Like, you can have these conversations. So that's why sex is the best inside of marriage, because you have the ability to truly learn and understand that person at a level that you can only do when you know that person's not going to walk out the door. See, God's like, I want this to be in marriage because it is an incredibly emotional, sensual, physical, and spiritual act. See, when we, fail, when we fail to understand the power of sex, here's what we do. We tend to bastardize it 
and we end up with something else. We take something that's beautiful and we break it down to something that just relieves stress. See, God is not anti-sex. He's just pro-marriage. He's not against sex whatsoever. He just wants you to have the best marriage possible. What happens is Satan wants to do the opposite. John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So what do we do? How do we respond? Here's the first thing. Protect yourself. What does that mean by that? That means put up boundaries. It's kind of like this. I don't know if you guys have ever had a, a dog that's had a procedure. They put the cone of shame on them, and it's hilarious to watch. It's just, it's funny, and, and it's, it's, it's awful sometimes for the dog because they try to get places, and they just keep hitting the cone and all that. But the reason the cone's there is why? Because to keep them from basically hurting themselves more. See, that's what boundaries do. Boundaries keep us from hurting ourselves. Look, it is impossible, it is impossible to date without boundaries and not do the wrong thing. It's impossible. Like, if you put any two young people in a room that's dark with a movie on for an extended period of time, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Why? Because that's the way we're made. We're not meant, guys, we're not meant to be alone with somebody for an extended period of time in the dark without having those feelings. And actually, one of the worst things we could do is make it so we are used to putting ourselves in those positions and going, nope, I'm not going to experience intimacy. That's going to set you up for a fun marriage. So what we do is we take a step back and we go, all right, what are the boundaries that I can put in? What are the things that I can do? How can I step back? And my thing is always this, is you always are hanging out with people, you're always in a public place. But how do we have hard conversations? Go to a bench and talk to each other. Nobody's listening to you. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, in the dark, laying down, looking into each other's eyes. You can talk to each other. But that's what happens. I think so many times, like, in dating, we focus on all the things that are fun in marriage that don't actually get us to know the person anymore. Like, the point of dating is to get to know that person. Go, am I going to marry this person or am I not going to marry this person? Right? And we tend to focus on the things that don't matter. It's like, what are you guys doing to getting closer? Oh, we're watching Netflix on a couch and cuddling. Like, that, that doesn't take any—that's that, not—that's, like, the easiest part of marriage. Like, that's the dumbest thing. Oh, well, we can do that so we can be— No! Like, that's easy. Talk to one another. Have a conversation. Bring up a topic that she doesn't like. See how you do then. (laughs) See if you can have a conversation. What's their anger like? Let's actually look for red flags instead of just walking away from them. And so, look— on top of it, I'm not even going to get into the, the porn side of things. Uh, I don't have enough time. It's an entire message. But if you go on the, the, the podcast, our very first message series at the very bottom is, is a series called Love Lies. And there's one called Porn Kills Love. Um, I would listen to that because here's the deal. We live in a society now where not only men uh, watch porn, but a lot of women do. And what we're finding out now that we're studying women, and women, you know this, your brains are different than men. You're actually way more complex than we are. Um, and porn actually affects you way worse, way worse. Actually, they found that women that watch porn are 300% more likely to cheat on their spouse. Uh, they're much more likely to get divorced and all of those things. And so it's destroying marriages, um, but that's something that we'll talk about later. And so the question is always this, what's the line? And let me just say this, that's the wrong question. Because when you ask what's the line, you're, you're not understanding what we're talking about. The point is not to say what's the line. The point is how can I get to know somebody in the best possible way, in the best possible way, so I see everything that's in front of me before we get married. That's the question. And, and I really do. I, I think you can, you can look at it from many different ways. I do think anything past kissing is going to put you in a really bad situation. Absolutely. I mean, I think that goes into the sexual side of things whatsoever. And even kissing in that. Like, if you just start making out. Look, girls, 
I need you to know this. Once a guy realizes he can just make out with you, that's way easier than talking. Make him talk to you. And if he doesn't want to, there's your sign. So we do. We take a step back. We go, okay, these are the places I'm not going to go. These are the things that I'm going to do. I'm going to stay upright. I'm not going to hang out alone. But this also means this, that you have to choose to only date people that have the same boundaries as you. Now, how do you know if they have the same boundaries that you do? You ask. It's amazing to me. People are much more, like, it's much easier for people to sleep with each other than it is to talk about boundaries. Like, I, I was talking to a guy one time. I'm like, did you tell her your boundaries? He said, no. I said, you slept with her? He said, yeah. Like, But it is. We've gotten in a culture at this point where that's easier. You have a conversation. You go, what are your boundaries? What are my boundaries? Why? Because it's very important. Because if their boundaries are not the same as yours, it's not going to go well. Guys, if you're trying to have a certain amount of boundaries and she goes, I'm up for whatever, that's not going to go well. In the same way, girls, if you're like, these are my boundaries and he says he's up for whatever, guess what? He's going to be really annoying. All the time. And I've heard girls say, but he, he just says he absolutely needs it. Look, never ever has there been a man crawling into a hospital <laughs> about to die going, I need sex. And they're like, quick, stat, bring him a woman. Like, that's never, <laughs> never happened. It's never happened. And I'm about to ruin some of your days. If they don't have the ability to control themselves outside of marriage, what makes you think they control themselves inside of marriage? Because, I mean, marriages, you go through different seasons. Oh, they, they have to have it, what, and they can't get it from you, or something happens, or you're in a tough conversation. So, I mean, they just go to somebody else. So you're looking for somebody that has the same boundaries that you do. And here, here's what I know. For some of you in this room, this is not the way that you have dated. This is not the way that you've done things. And maybe tonight you get to break up, which is the best thing. Um, look, you can't find the right person until you break up with the wrong person, so just do it. It's fine. Um, but here's the deal. It's really hard to, to go into a new relationship and not repeat the past problems. And so what we've got to do is we've got to go, okay, I need a plan. I need to have a renewal of my heart and of my mind before I step in there. I also need to understand what I'm going after and why it matters so much to me. And so that's what we do. And then on top of it, guys, hear me on this. You need accountability and you need people in your life. I'm so tired of people when they get into relationships disappearing. You are making the biggest decision of your life. The biggest decision of your life is outside of choosing God is choosing who you're going to marry. Why are we trying to do it on our own? So we've got to protect ourselves. We've got to choose boundaries. Here's the second thing is we pursue God, which means we continue to be around the same people. We continue to go to church. We continue to be in small group. We continue to have everybody around us. Why? Because we know we're weak and we need help. And we continue to look to God. For those of us that baggage, that means we unload the baggage. We start to heal so that we can go into marriage healthier. Look, you are most vulnerable to the enemy when your eye is not on God. And so what he wants you to do is say, nobody else will understand, go your own way. And the moment you're alone is the moment you're most vulnerable. We've got to stay connected to God. This is not easy. Please don't hear that. I know I'm making a lot of jokes. That's just to make us feel a little less uncomfortable. 
But this is not easy. I'm not saying this is simple to do. This is not the way God set it up. This is not the way it happened. It, back in olden days, when you were young and you're a teenager, somebody in your family would have gone to somebody else in another family and exchanged some goats, and you guys would have gotten married. Now we go through this whole dating thing that we made up ourselves, and we try to figure out who is best for us. Look, this is not an easy thing to do, but it is worth it. And as someone who does a lot of marriage counseling, let me just say, understanding what you're walking into before you walk into it is based on how clearly you can see what's going on around you. And you will not be able to see it if sex is a part of the relationship. Like I said, I, I, I don't want anyone in here to feel shame or guilt or any of that. That's not from God. But I do hope, I do hope I've made you think a little bit and there's a little bit of conviction inside of your heart right now that says, all right, there's a better way of doing things than the way I've been doing them. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you're a God that continues to forgive even when we mess up over and over and over again. God, I know this, this subject can be incredibly tough for so many in this room. God, I pray that we can have honest conversations about it. God, I pray um, for relationships in this room that just are, are not going well, good relationships that need to take a step back. God, I pray that you give them the courage and the ability to do that. God, I pray that you, uh, you would allow relationships that need to take a step forward to, to go forward also. God, we, we know that you want marriages to work. You want marriages to happen. God, I pray that we would have the best practices to be able to find the person that you want us to spend our lives with. God, I thank you for all the young adults in this room. Thank you for all of their hearts. And God, I pray that you would continue to give them a peace as they work and follow you. God, thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.